Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, man, what a great time so far this morning. Update on the right side of the room. Things are getting crazy, friends. Just crazy. Change is a hard thing to take. Um, But worship team, thank you so much for leading us to see Christ. Isn't that true? And we just sang about, wow. Well, you see on the screen some images of doors, all kinds of doors. I wonder what's behind these doors. I mean, I just wonder what's going on behind them. I wonder what the setting is, what the mood is, what the environment is. I wonder what the people are behind this door. I just wonder what the information is taking place behind each of these doors. When you think about it, uh, whether you're thinking about it or not, before you enter a door, there's a whole lot that's going on in your mind before you grab the knob, turn the handle, and open it and enter in. I just picture yourself here. You're about to enter the door at church. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? You can be all over the place. You can be, I can't wait to go here. This is where my, my, my peeps are. This is where my family and of faith is. This is, this is where uh, I'm scared to death. This is the first time here. What do they do? Like, what are they going to make me do? Um, think about it when you come at home from work or back from school. There's a whole history that's taking place inside of the home. And what's the environment coming into that home like? Before you pull the door handle, before you hit the garage door opener, there's all kinds of things that are taking place in your mind. Entering the school. Hey, everybody, kids just who just gone to school here and new schools, new teachers, new people, maybe a literally brand new school. When you go into the workplace, there's all kinds of thoughts going on there. Think about when you enter into an airplane, the team left for Haiti, you saw the picture of earlier. For some, going through that door into the airplane is just a pile of excitement. And for others, a pile of fear. I mean, I'm crammed into this giant tin can, and what's going to happen? Going to your boss's office, going to the principal's office, opening that door. Opening the door to Lucas Oil Stadium. Opening the door to the mall. All kinds of doors just have all kinds of different feelings and backgrounds to them. Doors are entrances into something. And as a church, kind of put it this way, we are about to enter a new door. We're entering a new door into the Gospel of John, and we're doing that together. I want to help us today, uh, using today. Today is just all about preparing to entering the Gospel of John. I'm going to do it a little bit different today in that this. I'm not going to talk to you about all the history setting up, you know, was it written in prior to 70 AD or was it written more like 80, 90 AD? I think it was more 80, 90 AD. But are we going to go into all that kind of stuff? Or are we going to talk about all the arguments about, was this actually the Apostle of John or some other John that writes the book? Because actually, as we'll get into it, you'll find out it doesn't say who the exact John is. Are we going to get into all that today? We could, but I'm not. Instead... I want to prepare us to enter into this book in this manner. I want two big words to kind of just be taking place when we get ready to pull this door, crack this door open and go in. Two words stick out for me. I want this, great anticipation. Just great anticipation. Great anticipation. I can't wait. 
Great anticipation. Why? For three reasons. Three reasons. Well, we're entering into the very words of God is reason number one. Uh, open your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should have some people coming around to let you look at a Bible. We're going to be going to a number of Bible passages today, okay? So start Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter is towards the end of your New Testament, just a couple books before Revelation. Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to be entering this series with, what are the two words? Okay, now let's get that. I know I'm trying to help you get along, but let's say it like we, we mean it. We're about to enter this book with what? We are. And because first reason, number one, we are entering, my friends, the very words of God, as much as I can say that to kind of emphasize it. Okay? Uh, what am I talking about? Let's just set some groundwork here. Second Peter chapter 1. Verses starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. How, much, how many things? All. all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What is the thing that provides us everything we need for life and godliness? Right here. This is it. This is the full instruction manual for all of life. How much of life? All of life. This doesn't just talk about spiritual things and everything else go figure out on your own. This is talking about, wait, how much of life? All of life. And these are God's words. This, his divine power is granted these to us. Look at the end of that chapter, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Understand, this is not a book of philosophy. This is not a book of Aesop's fables. This is not a book of combined really good thoughts or recipes that some people have tried and really liked. These are God's words. God's words. Well, what do we mean by that? Let me just kind of clarify a little bit. Turn to the left in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. All scripture, how much scripture? All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's profitable for teaching, it's profitable for reproof, it's profitable for correction, and it's profitable for training in righteousness. That the man of God, that the woman of God may be competent, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It gives four describing words here. These are God's breathed words, and it says they're teaching words. Teaching words from God. They're reproving words from God. They're correcting words from God. They're training words from God. I could say it this way. Teaching words. They teach us what's right. They're reproving words. They teach us what's not right. 
They're correcting words. They teach us how to get right. And they're training words. They teach us how to stay right. The Bible teaches us what is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. I love that summation. These are God's words revealing himself to us. We're entering that. We're entering that. Turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In fact, we can see in the gospel of John itself that that's what he states as his purpose. John is stating as his purpose that God is revealing himself. You can know God. I don't just mean come into a relationship with him, but have a living, breathing, full out, ongoing from beginning to end relationship with the Lord of the universe. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. We'll come back to this many times in our series. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Some versions have that as miraculous signs or signs and miracles. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. What does that mean? There's a whole bunch of other stuff that Jesus did that isn't recorded. But the things that are recorded, look, verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to uh, Jesus, uh, to what the Bible talks about, Christ is not his last name. And I don't mean that uh, jokingly. I mean that seriously. That's a title. And that's why it's stated here in this way. This Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus is the Christ. Look, the Son of God. We'll be talking about these terms as time goes on. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, that's what these words are about. God revealing himself. And John wrote this. God breathed words out, John penning them down, for us to be able to know for sure who the Christ is and what that means for you in my life. Anticipate that. Anticipate that. So number one, we're going into this with great anticipation because we are digging into God's words that reveal himself to us. And if you've been in church and if you've been familiar with the Bible and if right now you're a bit ho-hum about opening and scanning the Bible, I'm trying to in some ways lovingly wake you up and spur you up as well. You may have been looking into the Bible for decades and decades and decades and you come to know it as a book. I want to remind us, these are God's breathed out words that rocks, okay? And so we go in with that kind of anticipation with the process. So number one, we go into the very words of God. Secondly, we go into the great anticipation because we are entering into the very works of God. In fact, you can see in John 20, 30, and 31... We're going to see and experience many of the miracles, many of the things that Jesus did, many of the teachings that Jesus gave. We're going to have a front row seat at that. How cool is that? And in fact, we're going to be spending 25 weeks just in front of Jesus the whole time. Now, I will say this. The Gospel of John is unique 
from the other gospels. If you're new to the Bible, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them tell about the life of Christ. The first three are called the synoptic gospels. Uh, Each of them are unique. Each of them are written to different people. Each of them tell about the same person, Jesus Christ. The first three gospels, if I could big broad brushstroke, say it this way, they describe the uh, more of the events. They give us more of a front row seat on the movement and the activities of Christ. The thing about the Gospel of John is a bit unique is this. It's more about the meaning of the events. Instead of just kind of like uh, some years ago, we went through uh, the Gospel of Mark. I uh, called the Gospel of Mark. It's like the Indiana Jones Gospel of the of the Bible. I mean, it's just action, 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 action. John is different from that. John is kind of helping us get into the mind. He's helping us to understand what he said. You will see more red letters. If you have a red letter edition Bible, red letter edition Bible, all the words that Jesus spoke are in red letters. You will have more red letters in the gospel of John than any other gospel because so much of it is what he's saying and what he's thinking going on. John doesn't just write a book. He he paints pictures. He doesn't just give events and movements and activities, but he gives the purposes and the whys behind those activities. He paints these pictures so that we can see a whole picture. Each one of these are an additional piece to the whole, to seeing the big redemptive story. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want to take us here for a few minutes on a flyover view of the redemptive story. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Because John is helping us to see the Christ. And if if you don't understand the big picture redemptive story, you won't understand the critical importance of the Christ. All right? And it actually starts in Genesis chapter 3. Now, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates everything. Oh, and by the way, did, did you hear during the uh, song in the, when the worship team read out of Colossians chapter 1? Uh, who was the creator? Get this. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was the creator. If you get that more, if you grasp a hold of that concept, that Jesus Christ literally was the one who created all things. And imagine that reality and then dialoguing with the people you created on the earth you created. Imagine that. I'm just telling you, as you read through, I'd be like, if man, if I were him, I would just fry them all in a second. You know, talk back, But it just gives us more insight into who God is, the second person of the Trinity and the Godhead. So Genesis chapter 3 tells us uh, in the beginning, Adam and Eve sin before God. And then look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Just, I'm just quickly going to mention this. Some may not understand all what's going on here, but the sin has taken place. God now is kind of lining up Satan, uh, Eve, and Adam. And it's almost like, I got a conversation with you, and then a conversation with you, and a conversation with you. We're joining in the conversation with Satan. 
And the Lord said to the serpent, the Lord said to Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Uh, It's talking about offspring here. These last two statements are really important. Her offspring, he shall bruise your head and uh, you shall bruise his heel. I don't have time to go through all the explanation of this other than just to say this. That statement right there in the very beginning is the first announcement of a coming redeemer. Sin has come into the picture and God has already got it all taken care of. He's bringing a redeemer. And in essence, Satan is going to, uh, to, to blow a, 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 a blow, is going to lay out a blow on the Redeemer, but the Redeemer is going to lay out the big blow on Satan. Okay? <laughs> Take that to the theology books. It doesn't say it that way. But that's the way it is, okay? That's, we're just normal people. That's the way it is. First announcement of the coming Redeemer. Now turn to First Chronicles chapter 17. In fact, those in small groups are going through the study of David. Uh, you're going to be coming through. This is one of the passages. But that we have in Genesis 3, the first announcement of the coming Redeemer. First Chronicles 17, it goes Samuel, then Kings, then Chronicles. Okay. The promise of this Redeemer is carried through Noah It carries on through Abraham. It carries on through Joseph. It carries on uh, Jacob and then Joseph and then Moses and then Joshua. They're now in the promised land. David is now king of Israel in the promised land. First Corinthians or first Chronicles 17 verse 11. When your days are full, this is Nathan talking to David. uh, When your days are full, fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. In other words, God will, one of your own sons, and I will establish, look at the word, his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love for him as I took it from him who who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to break into all these kinds of things, but Nathan is prophesying that out of David, Solomon is going to be building a temple, but out of this temple, there's a kingdom where there is one who is going to sit forever. How long? Forever. Uh, we are getting the progressive revelation of God on this Redeemer. I've made a major jump here, but the fact is we hear a hope of anticipated Redeemer coming. Now we find out that this Redeemer is going to have a kingdom and he's going to be in the line of David. Well, let's go to the next passage, Isaiah chapter 9, about in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 9, big jumps here, but summary. Isaiah chapter 9, let's learn a little bit more about this coming redeemer that was promised all the way in Genesis chapter 3. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. There's a governing, a throne reality, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's the next one? Hear me. We now understand in this process that there is a redeemer that's been promised. It's going to become about, there's going to be a throne. There's going to be a kingdom. It's going to be forever. 
and it is going to be God. Okay? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that statement. Got any questions whether this is going to happen? The zeal of the Lord will do this. Okay, let's go to the next passage. Isaiah 53. Hanging with me? All right, good Bible turning here. Love that sound. Isaiah 53. Because everything so far sounds so awesome. There's going to be a redeemer. He's going to be on the throne in the line of David. He's going to reign forever. It's going to be a kingdom. It's going to be God. It's going to, ah! Now look at Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant. Verse 2. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord is laid on who? On him, the iniquity of us all. Wow, this brings in a kind of a whole new fuller picture of what this redeemer is going to be. By the way, can you see the tie all the way back to Genesis chapter three, that his heel will be bruised. In other words, he will be laid a wounded uh, uh, attack. And Isaiah 53 talks about how the one who is going to be sitting on the throne is going to be reigning from the line of David, from the kingdom forever. Will be smitten. For our sin. That puts a whole new tone on this dude. Daniel chapter 7. This is our last Old Testament passage. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Uh, Friends, don't forget that term right there. Okay? Part of the reasons I'm going to some of the specific passages I'm going to right now is because we're going to be seeing terms and terminology all through John that relate to every one of these passages. Son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, that all nations and all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Uh, This is the one who's coming. 
This is the one who's coming from Genesis chapter 3. Now, in this, as we go into John, you will see that many at the time of the writing and the life of Christ, the whole Isaiah 53 idea of one is coming who is going to bear and be smitten and taken the pain and, and, and not liked and loved by people, uh, they forgot about that passage but grabbed a hold of this other passage. They're, expen- they're expecting like some massive, awesome, good-looking, hunkified, six-pack dude to walk into town and to take over the kingdom forever but they forgot the fact that this one is going to be dying on the cross for their sin and we haven't even gone to the other number of passages that talk about that but that's the one who's coming oh and we can't complete the picture on the big picture of redemption without going to revelation go to revelation chapter 5 revelation chapter 5 from genesis chapter 3 one's coming One's coming, a Redeemer's coming. God in his progressive revelation continues to fill out who this Redeemer is. We get more and more insight to who he is and what he's to look like and what his task is going to be, what his reign is going to be, what he's going to be doing. And then look, this is in the future. Revelation chapter 5, this is awesome. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. This is, by the way, the apostle of John, uh, the writer of the gospel of John. He is basically in the throne room of heaven. And I saw a what? A lamb. Do not forget that term. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the what? The lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's cool. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. That was stated in the Old Testament. And we read that. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. One last passage, Revelation 19. Revelation 19. The Lamb the one who ransoms people, Revelation 5. Look at Revelation 19. This is the, yeah, let's go. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is what? Do not forget that statement in light of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 next week. What is he called? The word of God. The word of God. Uh. That's all John chapter 1. 
verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, which will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod and iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written. What is it? That's the one. From Genesis chapter 3 to Revelation 19 into the future. From the very beginning to the very end, one is coming. And guess what? we're going to be peering into the eyes of that one in the entire gospel of John. And here's what John is trying to do. That's the whole redemptive picture. John is trying to help say this. Hey, I want to tell you something, readers. I'm telling you, I've seen this guy do this stuff. I've seen this guy say this stuff. I spent years with this guy. And I'm telling you, this guy is that one. Now, I want to share that with you so that you can be able to know that reality. Not only just to be able to start a relationship with him, but to be able to live a relationship with him. Why enter the Gospel of John with great anticipation? Because it takes us right into the very heart workings of God himself. We're reading the words of God and we are getting a front row seat into the works of God. And lastly, we are entering into the front row seat into the very person of God. The very person of God. Think about that. The very person of God. I mean, what is God like? What does God think? I mean, what would God say if, if he were in the world? I mean, what would God, how would he respond to people? What would he say to people? How, how, how would he handle the whole situations? What if he had to live in our shoes? What would it be like? We're going to look into the very eyes of God on earth. Great anticipation. Great anticipation out of that. In fact, let's do this. A few verses in the Gospel of John. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The very person of God. Because, I don't know, maybe you're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, He's just a prophet, like uh, Islam says. Or, no, he's just actually a whole bunch of freaky things, like uh, Mormons uh, actually say. Um, or uh, maybe he was just a well-intentioned but not on. Did he really think that he was God? Well, let me just clarify this for you. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, oh, uh, (laughs) Revelation 19. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen him. We have seen his glory, glory as of the son from the father. Oh, that's Daniel. A full of grace and truth. Look at verse 35. The next day, again, John, this is John the baptizer, was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, behold, look, the lamb of God. Oh, we read that, didn't we? Quinky dink. That's out of the Old Testament. And John knew that. This wasn't, he wasn't just saying, now there's a guy I'd like to hang around with and have some pizza with. 
He was making a clear statement here. There is the Lamb of God, the one that's been talked about ever since the very beginning. John the baptizer is like, that's the one. The Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. It's like, yeah, bring it on. I want to hang with this guy instead. Dump you, John. I'm with him. Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, what in the world are you doing? Uh, He's, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, and we're going to get here. Where are you staying? What a cool question. Can I hang with you? And Jesus said to them, come and you will see. Isn't that cool? Friends, if this is God, he's like, come. I would love for you to see. Come on. Oh, by the way, what's the end of the verse, rest of the verse say? And they saw. We're going to be doing that. Look at chapter 1, verse 41. Andrew found his brother Simon, that Simon Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. Uh, go to John chapter 5, verse 18. John five eighteen. <laughs> Maybe Jesus was just a little bit misunderstood in his own mind. Maybe, he, what did people really understand him actually to be saying? This is why, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself what? Equal with God. Hey, Jesus could say it, but when other people confirmed the fact that Jesus was saying he was equal with God, Jesus was not thinking he was a prophet. Jesus clearly was saying he was God in the flesh and the other people knew that's what he was saying. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Three more verses. John chapter 10, verse 30. And here's one of the statements. John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. That doesn't mean like, you know, we're palsies. Okay, we're one. And we'll talk about it when we get there. Look at verse 31 right after it. So what they do? They picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because he was claiming to be God. And so they were going to stone him for hypocrisy. Go to John chapter 11, verse 25 to 27. Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. Again, friends, I'm trying to help us just to anticipate the fact there are so many statements throughout the gospel of John where you cannot walk away from this and go, he was just a good moral guy. Because if he was a good moral guy and he wasn't God and he said he was God, then he's a liar and he's not a good moral guy. And then he's telling everyone, I'm the way, the truth, the life. This man would then be evil. He's either what he says he is or he's totally off the deep end. And this woman, you are the Christ. That's going back to Old Testament declarations on what they were looking for. You are the son of God. Going back to Old Testament declarations of what they were looking for. Last verse, John 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6, and we'll wrap it. 
Jesus said to Thomas, I am a way, a truth. Oh, 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 whatever. It's just a definitive article. No big deal. No, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, but what about they believe in God, but they just have a different pathway to him. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. Oh, it's so much fun we're going to have with the whole Father thing and learning about that. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. <laughs> we are entering into the works of God, the words of God, and the person of God. What I love about John is John, like Jesus says, come check me, come check this out. Come check it out. God has no problem with people who are kind of like, I'm not sure about you. I'm not even sure about these statements. I want for you to know if that's where you're at, man, I'm so glad you're going to be going through this, this study with us because this is exactly what John wants to talk about. Come to a conclusion. But know the facts to be able to come to the conclusion. So in the coming months, we're going to be peering into the very eyes of the Lamb. We're going to be peering into the very eyes of the person of God. And I am expecting that as we enter this door, that we, ex- we are expecting to leave equipped and changed. For many who know Christ as their Savior right now, there's the great possibility that you're like, I already know the story of Jesus. Yeah, great. We get to go over it again. And when you grow in your further, deeper understanding, because this is a relationship with him, when you grow and you watch and you see, how did he interact with people? I'm to interact that way. He said he's the example for us and we're to follow like him. I want to learn to be more like my savior. We're going to be entering in all that together. Oh, booyah, bring it on. Great anticipation, great anticipation. And if you, again, If you are a questioner, wondering, I'm thrilled to have you here. Jesus invites you. Come, check me out. Come make a decision. Here we go. Next Sunday, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Okay? Ready? Excellent. Let me pray. Lord God, uh, you have shown yourself. How cool is that? You became flesh. You actually dwelt among us. And you dwelt among us to show yourself to us. How miraculous is that? And oh God, who are we that you would be mindful of us? (laughs) Oh God, may all that is within us be churned and turned and rocked in this series. I just would ask that we, as we enter into being able just to see you, that our souls would burn for you. You are the Redeemer. You are the Genesis 3 1. 
You are the word. You are the lamb. You are the king. You are so many things that we're going to be finding out about here in this series. May we see you like we've never seen you before. So reveal yourself. Equip us, change us. You are miraculous. In Christ's name.